The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, and the last word there is a very important word in Hebrew, which is the word asa. That's the last word in the Psalm 22, ki asa, that he, ha, he, he hath done this, he, he done this. And asa means, means done, but it also means accomplished or achieved. That's the last Hebrew word of Psalm 22. That's the last Hebrew word that he cried out from the cross. For what it says, it is finished, what he said in Hebrew or Aramaic is asa, or accomplished. And it's what he accomplished on the cross, it's what his blood accomplished that we are declared to the world. We are to declare to the world what his blood accomplished. And so far that we've been seeing in the series here that what his blood did accomplish was first of all, the remission or the removal of sins, just the taking away of them from Hebrews 9.22. We are to declare the redemption of souls, his redeeming of souls, from, that's what his blood accomplished, from 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. We are to declare the covering or the atonement, that's what it means, the covering of sins from Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17, 11. We are to declare reconciliation between two opposing parties, God and man, how he brought them back together, how he brought them back together. When you talk to kids or you talk to adults, which are just grown-up kids, well, when you talk to, you say, in the Garden of Eden, it was like this. God and man was like this. And then man did this when he sinned in, in Genesis 3. And then so God returned the favor and did that as well. And then what happened was that God then immediately came back. Adam, where art thou? He came back like that. That on the whole purpose was so that man can come back like this. This is reconciliation. This is reconciliation. This is before the fall. This is the fall. This is the consequences of the fall. This is God seeking man, and this is reconciliation, which comes from us from Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 2.13. His blood is accomplishing all this. And then his blood accomplished the cleansing of our souls from 1 John 1.17, 1 John 1.17. Then peace with God from Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20. Then justification, justification from Romans 5.9, Romans 5.9. And then as we saw last week, making our robes white, 
in the blood of the Lamb. That's Revelation 7.14. Revelation 7.14. Okay, so now we go to one more accomplishment of his blood, which is Hebrews 13.12. Hebrews 13.12, which is where we are now, where it says, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. There it is, an accomplishment of his blood. Sanctification. Now, the context of these sections here in Hebrews 13 has a special aspect of sanctification that the blood accomplished that is brought out in this passage. And this is made clear when we look at the verses before it in Hebrews 13.11, Hebrews 13.11, where it says, it talks about the bodies of those beasts whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. This is referring to the practice of what was done with the sacrifice. There were two parts, uh, you might say, of the sacrifice. There was the blood and there was the body of the animal. There was the blood of the sacrifice, the sacrificial animal, and then there was the body of the sacrificial animal. We are told in verse 11 that the blood of the sacrifice, oh, that was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest. That was the great day of atonement. That was the Yom Kippur. That was the once a year when the high priest would bring the blood into the Holy of Holies to make an atonement for the sins of the people. And we see that practice, how the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought his own blood before God the Father and presented it as an offering to make an atonement for our, for our sin. It's so wonderful to think about what the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished. When the Lord, just kind of picture a door of heaven, you know, a door, a gate of heaven. And, and the first person to go in to, to open the door is the Lord Jesus. And so he pushes on this door to heaven, and we all follow. He pushes on the door to heaven and pushes it open. Only thing is, on his hands that he's pushing the door open is blood from his cross. And so he leaves blood on the door, kind of like the door of the Passover, you know, but he leaves blood on the door, and now we go rushing in, but as we're going in, we're going through that door, and we stop, and we, and we kind of like, kind of like Moses with the burning bush who stops. I will consider and see why this bush is not. So we, we look at the, the door and say, why is there blood on that door? And it tells the whole story. It tells the whole story because the door was opened to us by the person who had to bleed. That's not in the Bible, and I wasn't asked to write any part of the Bible, so anyway. <laughs> Anyway, the focus here is on the body of the sacrifice which was burned outside the camp. So it's the focus of our attention now is this outside the camp, outside or without the camp in verses 11 and 12 where it's told that these animals didn't die a natural death, they were killed. So the point is emphasized in verse 12 and there's the weight on this point is that the Lord Jesus didn't die a natural death, he was killed and he suffered without the gate, in verse 12, it says, is suffered without the gate. So this is the emphasis now. He's suffering without the gate, and it's important for us to see, and we need to think back of what was done to those animals, because before those animals were killed, what happened was that hands were placed on, on the head of those animals, hands were placed, and, and it wasn't to bless those animals, but hands were placed on those animals as confession of sin was made. The people's sins were confessed over the head of those animals, and that was a very dramatic way to symbolize the placing of the sins on those animals when the heads were put on there, I mean, when the hands were put on there. That was to teach us how the Lord Jesus was the John 129, John 129, Lamb of God, 
which takes away the sin of the world. Because our sins were placed on him as it's emphasized over and over and over again in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, 5, it starts. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are, we are healed. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And then what happened? And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it goes on in verse eight. Verse eight is emphasized. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And it goes on in verse 11. He shall bear their iniquities. I'm all talking about Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 11. He shall bear their iniquities. And finally, finally, it says in Isaiah 53, 12, the last verse in Isaiah 53, verse 12. He bear the sin of many. So with the sins of the people and the animals, the animals are killed and the bodies are taken outside the city. And then when the bodies were burned outside the city, they were burned. The bodies of the animals were burned outside the city. Why? Because it showed how the people felt toward their own sin, or as it's supposed to. Show how the people felt toward their own sin. They hated their own sin. They're burned outside the city. It's the same as Paul saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? It's the detest of personal sin. And just as when the Lord Jesus was made the sin offering, and I don't ever want you to think that he became actual sin itself, just like those animals. It was laid on those animals. It was laid on him. And he bore our sins. So whenever it says he was made sin, for us, always think he was made a sin offering for us, okay. But he bore all of our sins on himself, he was killed outside the city, and it showed he was killed outside the city how much God the Father hated sin to the point where he turns his back on him, and then he makes this cry in Mark 15, 34, Mark 15, 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he suffer like that outside the city and allow himself to become the detested sin offering? It was purpose, because he was driven by purpose. He had a purpose. He wanted to see his people have their sin removed from them, and that was the only way. So the emphasis on the animals being burned outside the city is to show how the, the detest of sin it was to show how the, the, the animals were made of sin offering, and so the people burned the animals outside the city. The animals were set apart. The animals were separated from the city. The animals were sanctified when they were burned outside the city. And this is the point of the Lord's suffering outside the city that's emphasized in verse 12 when it says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. And that's exactly what we read about when he was crucified in Luke 20, 23, 33. Luke 23, 33, it describes when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left hand. It says in, in Matthew 27, 33, Matthew 27, 33, when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull. So this place where he was crucified is called, it means the same thing, 
in the Greek, Calvary, like you know, Calvarius, the, the head, Calvary, or in the Hebrew, Golgotha, it means a skull. So the Lord is crucified in a place called, in a place called the skull. It's outside the city, which, by the way, not that you were wanting to know, but anyway, by the way, that disqualifies the place of the Catholic Church, which claims to be the place where he was crucified, called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Why? It cannot be the place of his crucifixion because the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is right in the middle of Jerusalem. It's within the gates there, of the city walls, so that can't be the place. But the place called so-called Gordon's Calvary by the man Gordon who first saw it outside of his hotel room many years ago, Gordon, this rock formation of the skull, that is just outside the city walls, outside the so-called Damascus Gate. So the emphasis on verse 12 is that the Lord suffered outside the city, and that's the reason why he suffered in Calvary outside the city walls, is because just as those animals of the sacrificial animals were brought outside the city, so we read in Isaiah 53, 7, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth, he is brought. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, brought. And that's why it says in Mark 15, 20, Mark 15, 20, when they had mocked him and they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him, they led him out. They led him out to, be, to crucify him. This is all to show that, 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 that the Lord Jesus was led out, brought out, outside the city walls, outside the city walls. Now, you say, well, why is that important? Because outside the city walls was a symbolism that he is outside of the mainstream, which we call Judaism, the mainstream of Judaism. And if there's any doubt, you can just ask some rabbis if he's outside the mainstream. And anyway, there's no doubt about that. And so, and all this is to show that the Lord Jesus it, that it was brought out there, which means that if we are to follow the Lord Jesus, we follow him also outside the city walls, outside the mainstream of, of, of Judaism, outside of the mainstream of the, of the religion. Um, and, and don't ask me why I'm not a messianic, because I don't want to talk about that now. But this is the sense of the word sanctify. Sanctify. It's in this narrow context. It means outside, outside the camp, outside the mainstream of the religion. It means to be set apart. This is the meaning that we're getting here of the word sanctify. It means to be set apart, but only in this instance it's talking about being set apart from the mainstream. Now, in order to see this, because this is in the book of Hebrews, it's so important to look at this from what following the Lord Jesus means for a Jewish person. You remember last week I told you about the Orthodox rabbi who came out from New York and received the Lord Jesus, prayer, prayer and profession, here in this building, and then returned to New York to tell his wife the good news. Only she didn't think it was so good news. And she was not happy at all with his newfound Lord with his newfound Jesus, and she told him, if you don't renounce Jesus, then, I want, then she told him that he would lose her as his wife. He would lose his children. He would lose his house that he lived in because his father-in-law owned the house. He would lose his synagogue, his congregation. He would lose his mother and father and all of his relatives and his work because he also was working for his father-in-law. And he would lose all of his friends. Apart from that, he would have a very happy life. So this is the issue that we are talking about here as we drop down into this Hebrews 13 chapter. And, and because she told him, 
you will be cut off. You will be separated. You will be sanctified, set apart from the mainstream of your life, your Jewish life, and your, your, your religion, your Jewish religion. This is the issue. And the issue becomes, whenever I just described this to you right now, much more in that day, you know, he couldn't just move from one side of, they could not, in that day, they couldn't just move from one side of Brooklyn to another. So how is a person gonna have the courage and gonna have the strength to leave it all, to be sanctified, to be set out, outside of the main street, set apart? How's he gonna do that? Verse 12. Verse 12, Hebrews 13, 12, it tells us, and it's by another accomplishment of the blood of the Lord, that he might sanctify the people with his blood. I told the rabbi that as hard as it would be, I told this rabbi, as hard as it would be, I encouraged him, do it. Turn your back on all that and come to the Lord Jesus. And the reason why, and I, and I, I have to tell you that I felt everything he was facing, and, and, I, and I had to give a lot of thought and say, can I really do this? I mean, I'm in a little bit different situation, you know. Yeah, my, my being set apart was I married a beautiful Gentile woman and we made a little nest of, ourselves, of our own. And so that wasn't quite the same. And I didn't work for my father-in-law or my father, otherwise I wouldn't be standing here. Anyway, so, but I had the confidence to tell him that because of verse 12. Because of verse 12. Because by the Lord with his own blood would set him apart. Another accomplishment of the blood of the Lord Jesus. It gives the courage, it gives the strength to leave the mainstream and to be set apart, to be sanctified to the Lord. And with all that loss that rabbi was facing, which is the same loss as the Jewish people were facing here in the book of Hebrews, the, the, the exhortation is written in verse 13. Verse 13, come on, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the gate, bearing his reproach. Oh, you're a Christian, bearing his reproach, which is what, what I was telling that rabbi. Go forth, go forth. Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus, you are able to go forth. This is the path of believers. The path of the believers, the path of us is to let us go forth. Don't choose the path of least resistance. Go forth. Don't choose the path of the most comfortable. Go forth. Don't choose the path of blending in with the world. Go forth. Just stay. Just stay. Well, if I become like the world, then I can best help them. Don't do that. Go forth. But we don't just leave the mainstream of the world, leave the mainstream of the religions without the Lord Jesus because, it is, because, because it's, well, it's a good thing to separate ourselves from all that that is not honoring to the Lord. We leave because that's what the Lord did. He left. And the fact that he was sacrificed outside the camp, that's why we go forth. And it, it's just like what happened to the Israelites. In fact, this whole uh, passage here is referring back to that. In Exodus 33, 5, Exodus 33, 5, you want to turn to it, please be my guest. Exodus 33, 5, Exodus 33, 5, which says there, it's speaking about this whole situation there, this whole, is really referring to this. Exodus 33, 5, from Hebrews 13, it's referring to Exodus 33, 5, where it says, 
The Lord had said unto Moses, say unto the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. Whew, what a surprise. No, I shouldn't say it. You are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Imagine. God was saying, I am going to destroy my people in a moment. The people that he had invested so much into and really had put himself out on the line so much. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe you out in a minute. Therefore now, put off thy ornaments from thee that I may know what to do unto thee. I think this is just an amazing statement. God says, I don't know what to do with you. You ever say that to your kids? I don't know what I'm gonna do with you. No, hopefully not. But that's what God was saying to his kids. I don't know what I'm gonna do with you. So just wait until I figure it all out. And, and the children of Israel, they heard that. They stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb, and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the tent, afar off from the tent, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. By the way, it's the word kehilat, and so he says, the tabernacle, which means church. So he called it the tabernacle of the church. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation or of the church, which was without the camp. What a statement. Israel has sinned against God, and Moses has the tabernacle. All right, break it down. Just break it down. It's gonna move. It's right there in the middle of Israel in the camp. And just imagine if you were there and you saw the tabernacle that was so comforting for you to see every day because it represented the protection of the cloud from the, from the sun during the day. It represented the warmth of the fire by night. And you got so used to seeing the tabernacle right in the middle and it was so comforting. Oh, look at the tabernacles here. God's with us. That's wonderful. And all of a sudden, one day, you see Moses having the tabernacle broken down to be taken down. And you run over and you say, what are you doing? What are you doing with the tabernacle? And you're told it's moving, and you say, where, where? Is it gonna go to another place on the other side of the camp of Israel than within the camp? Because they didn't have the advantages of having it so close. Is that what's happening? And say, no, the tabernacle is being taken outside of the camp, far away, as a matter of fact, from the camp. It's gonna be out there. And so you sit there, you watch the tabernacle, and it's, and, and it's, it's being taken down, and they're carrying it off way outside the camp, and then you're faced with a personal decision. And you gotta sit there and say, what do I do? Do I now go to the tabernacle where God is? It's way outside the, t- the camp. Do I now turn my back on my Jewish people, on my people of Israel, and choose God to go out there? Or do you say, no, I wanna stay with my family. I wanna stay with my friends. I wanna stay with the people I know. I won't go outside the camp. I'm staying right here. I'm Jewish. These are my people. I'm staying with them. I'm not gonna turn my back on my people and go way out there. And that's what most did. But the Bible says that there were some, there were some who did turn their back on their people and did go outside the tabernacle. And that's given to us in Exodus 33, seven. Verse seven, Exodus 33, seven. Everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which is without the camp. Those are the ones who did turn their back on their own people and so et cetera. And they left the camp and they were the ones who were seeking God. I want God. God's more important than anyone, anything. I'm going. They were the ones who said, God's more important than my own people. And so those people went forth outside the camp. And the reason they went is because they were going forth unto God. 
And that's the important part to see. Now switch back to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 13, Hebrews 13, 13. That's the important part to see where it says, let us go forth unto him, unto him. It's so important to see that when a person goes forth, it must be unto him. It's gotta be going forth to him. It's gotta be going forth to the Lord Jesus. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619 599 1104. God bless you.